Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. We are continuing our series of sermons today on Paul's letter to the Philippians. And in that connection, I invite you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 1, the verses 22 through 26. And these verses also form the text for the sermon. Let us hear the word of God. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. May the Lord bless the reading and the preaching of his word to our hearts. Dear friends, have you ever faced a dilemma? A dilemma is a choice between two equally good things. For example, I can eat at this or that restaurant. I can wear this or that article of clothing. I can spend a vacation here or there. I can buy this or that car. Life is full of dilemmas. Often it's difficult to know which op option to choose. Now, the Apostle Paul also faced a dilemma, but his dilemma was very weighty. As we've seen, Paul was under house arrest in Rome awaiting his trial. At the time that he wrote this letter, he did not know whether he would live or die, nor did he know which he would prefer. On the one hand, he could be spared execution and remain with the Philippians, which he says was more needful for them. And on the other hand, he could be executed and be with Christ, which he says was far better, at least for him. Now, which of these two options he preferred, Paul did not know. He was facing a dilemma. And it's to this dilemma that we turn our attention today with the help of the Lord. We're going to look at these verses under the theme, Paul's Difficult Dilemma. And we'll consider, first of all, his personal preference, secondly, his pastoral inclination, and thirdly, his confident expectation. I said already that Paul was faced with a difficult dilemma. On the one hand, he could live and continue his ministry also among the Philippians. And on the other hand, he could depart. But which should he choose? Well, Paul didn't know. In fact, he tells us in our text that he was hard-pressed to decide between the two. Now, the Greek verb here means to be held under pressure from two sides so that movement in either direction is hindered. It's derived from a Greek word meaning to be distressed, to be pulled in two directions, to be torn, to be 
betwixt and between. The idea is that Paul was feeling so torn between remaining here and going to be with Christ that he simply did not know which to choose. But as he thought about it, he concluded that he had a desire to depart. Now, the word depart is very interesting. It can mean to pull up stakes, as in dismantling a tent. It can also refer to raising an anchor before setting sail. Now, Paul uses this word to describe the death of a believer. When a believer dies, it's like he's pulling up stakes. He's packing up his tent to move elsewhere or raising his anchor before setting sail. He's leaving this life in order to enter into another. Now, this is what Paul desired. The Greek word means longed for. Paul desired, he longed to depart. And why is that? Well, because he understood that for him and all believers, to depart was to be with Christ. He writes, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ. You see, the Apostle Paul did not believe in what's commonly known as soul sleep. Soul sleep is the view that when a believer dies, his soul does not go directly to heaven. Instead, it simply goes to sleep. The point is, there is no consciousness after death. At death, the soul enters into a state of unconsciousness and remains in such a state until the day of resurrection when it is woken up. But this view is absolutely false. The Bible teaches that the moment the believer dies, he or she goes immediately to heaven and is ushered into the presence of Christ himself. In Luke 23, verse 43, Jesus said to the thief on the cross, This day you shall be with me in paradise. And in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 8, the Apostle Paul writes that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Well, so it is here as well. Paul here clearly states that for the believer to depart or for the believer to die means to be with Christ. Now, to be with Christ certainly implies consciousness. If you're with someone, you're conscious of their presence. You can speak to them, you can see them, you can hear them and touch them. And the same is true for the believer in death. In death, the believer is conscious of the fact that he or she is with Christ. Now, for the Apostle Paul, to be with Christ was better than anything else in the entire world, including life itself. He writes, it's far better. In the original Greek, this is what's called a triple comparative. Literally, Paul says that to be with Christ is very much exceeding or vastly preferable to anything else. Now, why is that? Why did Paul believe it was far better for him to be with Christ? Well, Paul doesn't tell us in so many words, but there are several possible reasons. First of all, to be with Christ means to be done with sin and all of its consequences. You see, as long as we are in this life and in this body, we will have to struggle against sin and temptation every single day. But when we are with Christ, the struggle against sin and temptation is over. And that's because we will be glorified. 
we will be perfect and we will be free to worship and to serve God without hindrance to all eternity. And my friends, this is what every believer in Christ longs for. And so did the Apostle Paul. And that's why he says that to be with Christ is far better. But secondly, to be with Christ is far better because to be with Christ fulfills the hopes and longings of every believer. You see, every believer is in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. And as such, he or she longs to be with him. Just as a wife longs to be with her husband, and a husband longs to be with his wife after a period of absence, so the believer longs to be with Christ. Now, to be sure, the believer is with Christ already in this life. Christ dwells in the believer through his Holy Spirit. But what the believer longs for is to be with Christ physically. He longs to see his face. He longs to enjoy his communion, to stand in his presence, not just for a little while, but for an everlasting eternity. And Paul knows this. And that's why he says to be with Christ is far better. Dear friends, what was true for the Apostle Paul is true, at least to some extent, for every believer. It's the desire of every believer to depart and to be with Christ. Now, to be sure, that desire is not as strong when we are young and when we have our whole life ahead of us, or when we have dependent children that we need to care for and look after. In fact, it would be unnatural for us at this stage of life to want to die. But every believer desires this to some extent. Every believer desires to depart and to be with Christ. My friend, is this true for you today? Do you desire to depart this life and to be with Christ? Many people sadly do not. And if we do, probably not as much as we should. And why is that? Well, one of the reasons why believers, at least in the Western world, do not desire to be with Christ as much as they should is because they're so enamored by and caught up in the world and the things of the world. And it's no wonder, because we have so much, more than most people on earth can even imagine. And therein lies the problem. Because the more we enjoy of the riches of this world, it seems the less we desire to leave it and to be with Christ. And This is why Jesus said that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. He said that because he knew how strongly attracted we are to the world and to the things of the world. But dear friends, this ought not to be. Our deepest desire, especially when we're older, is should be to depart and to be with Christ. Oh, is that true for you today? What is it in your life that prevents you from longing to be with Christ? Is it material things? Is it family and friends? Is it life experiences? Oh, how we need to examine ourselves, friends, if there's anything in our lives that prevents us longing to be with Christ, then that is an idol for us, and it needs to be destroyed. And so Paul desired to be with Christ. That was his personal preference, but his pastoral inclination was different. And that brings us to our second point. 
As much as Paul wanted to be with Christ, something held him back. What was it? Well, it was his love and care for the churches, especially the church at Philippi. He writes in verse 24, Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. Now, this expression, to remain in the flesh, is simply another way of saying to continue living. So Paul here is acknowledging that for him to continue living is more needful for the churches. Why? Well, because Paul was a leader in the church. What is more, he had a commanding grasp of the Scriptures, and he was also endowed with much wisdom and tact. And The churches were also facing persecution. If there ever was a time when the churches needed the Apostle Paul, surely that time was now, and Paul knew this. And that's why he acknowledged that it was more needful for him to remain in the flesh. But that's not all. Because you'll notice that he goes on in verse 22 to write this. He says, but if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. So what Paul is saying is that if it pleases the Lord to spare his life, this will mean fruit from his labor. In other words, if the Lord spares him, he will be able to continue to labor among the churches and under the blessing of the Lord, bear fruit to his glory. Now, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, this is what Paul was always looking for. He was always looking for fruit. In Philippians 1 verse 11, he prays that the Philippians would be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. In chapter 4, verse 17, he rejoices in their generosity, not because he personally needs their gifts, but because he seeks the fruit that abounds to their account. In Romans 1, verse 13, Paul says he wanted to go to Rome that he might have some fruit among them, just as among the other Gentiles. Now, why was Paul always looking for fruit? Well, because when believers bear fruit, they glorify Christ, which was also Paul's sole aim in life. His sole aim was not to live for himself. It was to glorify his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's why he expended so much time and energy preaching the gospel, because he wanted to glorify Christ and see him glorified in the hearts and lives of his people. And dear friends, what was true for Paul is true for every minister of the gospel. Every minister of the gospel, indeed every office bearer, desires to see fruit upon his labor. You see, what kind of fruit? Well, fruits of faith, fruits of repentance, fruits of holiness. The pastor wants to see his congregation become more and more like Christ, living to his glory and walking in his fear. Now, to be sure, this is not easy. It involves a lot of hard work and much prayer. The task of the minister is comparable to a farmer. A farmer has to till the soil and plant the seed and pull up the weeds, all in the hope of gathering in a plentiful harvest. 
We sometimes sing the sower bearing precious seed may weep as in his toil he grieves, but he shall come again with joy in harvest time with golden sheaves. And the same is true for every faithful minister of the gospel of Christ. Like the sower, he too has to work hard and long, but he knows that in the end it will all be worth it. For there will be a harvest of souls that will redound to the glory of God, which is his chief aim and goal in life. So although Paul desired to depart and to be with Christ, his desire was restrained. It was held back, we could say, by his pastoral concern for the churches, including the church at Philippi. Oh yes, he wanted to depart to be with Christ, but he was willing to remain behind for the benefit of the Philippians, which he says was more needful for them. Now we can learn something from this. We learn here that when it comes to a choice between what we want and what is best for others, we must always try to put others first. Now a lot of people don't do that, including many Christians. Many Christians today are very selfish. They always put themselves ahead of others. They're more concerned about what's good for them than what is good for others, including their brothers and sisters in Christ at times. And my friends, this is wrong. This is contrary to the attitude exhibited by the Apostle Paul in our text. Uppermost in our minds at all times should be not what is best for me, but what is best for the church and what is best that promotes the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. John G. Patton was a famous missionary who lived during the 19th century. He once declared his intention to preach to the savages in the South Sea Islands of the Pacific Ocean. And when an aging Christian by the name of Dixon heard about this, he strongly advised him against it. You'll be eaten by cannibals, he said. Patton's reply was most instructive. He said, Mr. Dixon you are advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I am eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will arise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. Oh, how I wish more people displayed that kind of attitude in the church of Christ. Later in this letter, in chapter 2, verse 4, Paul would exhort the Philippians to look out not only for their own interests, but also for the interests of others. And then he went on from there to illustrate this with a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ because he is the perfect embodiment of this. He left the glories and the riches of heaven to come to this earth to suffer and to die so that he might save his people from their sins. He didn't have to do this, but he did out of love for his own. He put their needs ahead of his own so that they might be saved. And dear friends, we need to learn to do the same. Have you learned to do this? Are you always putting the needs of others 
ahead of your own? Have you learned with Paul to place yourself completely at the disposal of the Lord, to be used by him in whatever way he sees fit? Oh, the church today needs more of such people. Are you one of them? So Paul's pastoral inclination was restrained. He wanted to be with Christ, but he knew that to remain in the flesh was more needful for the church. And knowing this led Paul to a confident expectation. And that brings us to our third and final point. Yes, despite his desire to depart and to be with Christ, Paul knew that it would be beneficial for the churches if he remained behind. In fact, he was convinced that this would be the outcome. For he writes in verse 25, And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all. Now, how did Paul know this? Well, he didn't receive a revelation from God. God didn't speak to him in a dream or a vision. So how did he know this? How could he be so confident of this? Well, he deduced this based on the fact that this would be best for the churches. He says as much in verse 25. He writes there that his continuation would be for their progress and joy of faith. The word faith is connected to both progress and joy. So what Paul is saying is that his continuation among them would be for their progress in faith. In other words, it would help them to progress in their knowledge and understanding of and trust in the atoning work of Christ. It would also be for their joy in faith. In other words, as they progressed in faith, they would become more joyful as they discovered how rich they were in Christ. And what is more, he says at the end of verse 26 that he would come to them again. And when he did, he said, their rejoicing will be the more abundant in Christ Jesus, from whom all the blessings of the gospel flow. And so we learn a number of things from this. We learn, first of all, what is the primary task of the minister of the gospel? Dear friends, the primary task of the minister of the gospel is not administrative, but spiritual. The minister is not a CEO of an organization. He is Christ's ambassador sent by him to foster spiritual growth within his church. And he does that in many ways. He does that primarily by preaching, but also by visiting and teaching and praying. Everything that he does is or ought to be for the spiritual well-being of the congregation which he serves. And if that is not the case, then he's not fulfilling his calling. But secondly, we learn here how much churches should value and appreciate their faithful ministers. Faithful ministers are sent by God to increase our joy and to promote our spiritual well-being, as Paul says here in our text. And who would not rejoice in that? Now, I know it's not always easy to rejoice in your ministers. Ministers are weak and sinful men just like you. And for that reason, sometimes it's not easy to value and appreciate them as we should. But we need to strive to do this. For when a minister is loved and valued and appreciated by the congregation that he serves, he will love and value and appreciate the congregation 
in return. Thirdly, we learn here how much we should praise and magnify our Lord Jesus Christ since all of our joys are mediated through him. And doesn't Paul say as much? He expresses the hope that the Philippians rejoicing for him may be more abundant in Jesus Christ, he says, by his coming to them again. Now that phrase, in Jesus Christ, is significant. It speaks of the believer's union with Christ. By faith, the believer is united to Christ as the members of the body are united to the head. And that means that the believer is a partaker of all the benefits of Christ which are mediated to him through Christ. And one of these benefits is ministers of the gospel who are sent by the Lord Jesus for our spiritual benefit. Matthew Henry writes this. He says, all our joy should terminate in Christ. Our joy in good ministers should be our joy in Christ Jesus for them. For they are but the friends of the bridegroom and are to be received in his name and for his sake. Yes, ministers are gifts of the ascended Christ to his church. And how grateful we should be to Christ, therefore, for giving them to us. Paul was facing a great dilemma. On the one hand, he desired to depart and to be with Christ. And on the other, he knew that it would be better for him to remain here and to continue to minister in the churches. And he was confident that he would, and that by God's grace, he would be the means by which the Philippians would abound in joy. And he was content with that. Whatever would serve to advance the kingdom of Christ, Paul was willing to do. I have a book in my library called The Valley of Vision, and it's a collection of Puritan prayers. One of these prayers sums up Paul's attitude very well. It goes like this. Sovereign God, thy cause, not my own, engages my heart. And I appeal to thee with greatest freedom to set up thy kingdom in every place where Satan reigns. Glorify thyself, and I shall glorify, and I shall rejoice. For to bring honor to thy name is my sole desire. Lord, use me as thou wilt. Do with me as thou wilt, but, O, promote thy cause. Let thy kingdom come. Let thy blessed interest be advanced in this world. Let me be willing to die to that end. And while I live, let me labor for thee to the utmost of my strength. Oh, may God grant that this may also be our prayer and our goal until our Lord comes again. Amen. We always appreciate hearing from our listeners. If you were blessed by or have a comment on the message that you've heard today, we would very much appreciate hearing from you. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road. Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N, Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. If you would like to listen to the message you've just heard again, or if you would like more information about our program, including how to contact us and how to listen to other messages on this program, please visit our website at bannerofTruthRadio.com. That's all one word, bannerofTruthRadio.com. 
Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.org. Your financial support for this program is welcome and deeply appreciated. If the Lord has placed in your heart a desire to help us to offset the costs of broadcasting this program on this station, you can send us a check in any amount. Again, our mailing address is 3386 Mount Lehman Road, Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can make a donation right on our webpage. Our webpage, again, is banneroftruthradio.com. Thank you for listening, and now until next week, may the Lord be with you all.